Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. This is Big Rev. And this is Professor D. We are coming to you from Galatians chapter 2. We're so glad you're joining us on this journey. And we are in... um, the epistles, these epistles that Paul is writing to these churches, and the ones that are smaller epistles. We're not we're not tackling the bigger ones, and we are in. We had Galatians one last week, of course, and we had a great time. And I invite you, if if you are new to this podcast or new to this podcast series, uh, to go back and listen to Galatians chapter one, and to even go back a previous series. Mick and I had a blast going through the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. But tonight we are in Galatians chapter 2, and there is, theologically speaking, commentators, they, they tend to disagree on, on, on issues regarding the timeline and when Galatians might have been written. And a major theory is that uh, Galatians 2 lines up with um, the historical book of Acts chapter 15. So what I'm going to do tonight is, my plan was, I would read Acts 15, and I'll kind of let you, the listener, decide if, if there's connections there. Um, but Mick, there is some disagreement over this, and why might why might somebody not put Acts fifteen with Galatians chapter two? Well, there are several reasons. One of the things is when you look at, um, especially going into the life of Paul, you see that he makes several trips to Jerusalem. So there is that. Yeah. And the big thing that kind of changed it for me personally, because for the longest time, I actually thought Acts, or I'm sorry, Galatians came out of Acts fifteen. But one of the big things that, that got me thinking was the absence of the mention of the letter in Acts 15, which we'll read about shortly, that the, that is a significant letter not to be mentioned considering what the subject matter here is. And to me, the absence of that makes me think that this happened very shortly before it. Mm. I mean, and at the end of the day, like you said, the biggest thing it really affects is the timeline. Did it happen in 48 AD or eighty forty eight or eighty fifty? Yeah, I mean honestly. And for those of you who are wondering about that letter, it's in, in Acts fifteen. There's going to be the the first chunk of Acts fifteen speaks about this Jerusalem council, and then right after the council ends, I believe it's James. He stands up and says, "We're going to draft a letter now mm-hmm. to the Gentile believers." Yes. And so, I don't know if it says they were going to send it with Paul or just send it to these churches. I we don't know, but but yeah, that's. That's a great point. It, it kind of reminds me how uh, I, I I once my my in laws took it took my wife and I on a Holy Land cruise and we were visiting all these holy sites and and the tour guides kept saying yeah this is where Jesus did this or this is where Paul walked here and uh, I remember walking through the ancient city of Ephesus and they call it now Ephes and I remember reading Acts chapter nineteen and Paul being drugged through the streets and I'm thinking to myself well. If it wasn't this street Paul was drugged down, it was somewhere around here. Mm-hmm. So if if Galatians 2 and Acts 15 don't line up perfectly, they both had to happen sometime in the, in this time period. And, and this is not like we're disagreeing over a cardinal doctrine or no. anything. But those of you, you, you will hear me read Acts 15 here, and you'll see some similarities uh, with our text today. So let me begin with a, a word of prayer. And we will journey forth here. God, thank you for this time. We thank you for your word that we get to study and that we get to have a great conversation with. Yes. I'm sure thankful for my, my, my dear friend, Mick, Professor D, and for the conversation we're going to have tonight. We just pray all this would be uh, glorifying to you and edifying for our listeners. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's Acts 15. Uh, this, is, uh, this is, of course, the gospel writer and uh, physician and traveling partner of Paul, Luke writing this. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So right away we see a tie-in in Galatians somewhere. Yeah. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared that all, all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the law of Moses. 
The apostles and the elders were gathered together to, to consider the matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Now verse 19, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols. And so evidently that, that was the letter that, mm-hmm. uh, that you're mentioning there. Yeah. All right, so that, that, that's the Acts 15 portion. That, and you're going to see some similarities there, but some, some disagree that it's not directly there. But all right, well, let's, we're going to slog in here. One of the things that Paul is going to accomplish today in Galatians, in our last week's session, he cleared up a misconception. And a misconception there was that, um, that the gospel Paul was preaching, because there was some gospel that they were following that Paul had to push back on and say, no, 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 we're not compromising. We're going to, this is the, we're going to hold to the gospel. We're not going to compromise at all. In fact, let anyone who does another gospel, was it be accursed or yeah, have a yeah. curse to come to them? Is it's very, very strong language. So Paul, why would they push back on Paul? And one of the misconceptions that Paul was clearing up was that the gospel he preached, maybe they thought it wasn't good enough because it didn't come from Peter or it didn't come from James or John and one of the other super apostles that everyone heard about. And Paul was clearing up that about them. No, this didn't come from them. Mm-hmm. This came from Jesus. This is I was directly commissioned by Jesus. And so he's really clearing up a misconception in that first chapter. This chapter, um, we get the idea on the other side of the coin that maybe there's an issue because uh, Peter and James and all these apostles are not coming along beside Paul. Maybe, maybe Paul is really some kind of a, I don't know, maybe Paul is some kind of talented figure who's striking out on his own and giving his own interpretation of things. And he's not really grounded with the rest of the apostles. And maybe he's giving something that they don't agree with. So Paul needed to clear that up too, to make sure that I think the big lesson tonight is Paul was really focusing on unity, that there's some unity here and that his message is not dependent upon them, but that they do agree with him. And I think his readers in Galatia needed to hear that. And the opponents of, of the gospel that just took an arrow out of their quiver. Yeah. And I think a big point here is not so much that they were, evolving the gospel or writing it as it were, you know, you know, creating it or formulating it as, as it was, so much as it was clarifying it. Because the thing was that they, they needed a clearer gospel statement. Mm. So it wasn't like they were coming up with the gospel. Jesus gave us the gospel. Mm. The Old Testament preached this gospel. And what, what was happening was that, you know, they were growing and moving so fast that they never really hunkered down this is the gospel mm. in a nutshell. Well, that was one massive introduction. And, yeah. and so that was, a, I, hopefully that gives us a, a little bit of grounding here. But we're, we have a lot to cover tonight. Galatians 2 is a theological powerhouse of information. Yeah. So we have just verse 1 here. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus with me. So right there, Paul has a team. Mm-hmm. And he's got Barnabas on one side, and he's got Titus on the other. What does that communicate about just his purpose and about the unity he has there? Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, Barnabas is, is a Jew and, and Titus is a Gentile. So right there, that just goes to show you what the gospel is all about, mm. uniting Jews and Gentiles. So they're working here with, with Paul. And yeah, and Barnabas seemed to have been a guy that everyone respected. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he was the encourager. He, that, that's what his name means. And Titus evidently had some respect as well. And yeah. so he was a known figure and... Uh, yeah, and that's just he—he he was someone that was uh, on the Gentile side. That was so, he, so. We have Jew and Gentile here, mm-hmm. and in verse two, I so at fourteen years. So this wasn't like he was—he was. It wasn't like Paul was coming to the the the, the other apostles and 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 
and begging for scraps or yeah. like no he had put a lot of time in so yeah. this is this is this is the gospel that, that that Paul is delivering is it's not something that's dependent upon these other guys right so he says in verse two I went up because of a revelation and because of a revelation and set before them though privately before those who seemed influential the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain so how humble was Paul here regarding um, just choosing to set his mission before this group whether it was the Jerusalem Council officially or just in general how humble was he the fact that he was willing to do this or consider that he knew who he got his, his calling from. He knew who he got his mission from. And, and just the fact that, that he was willing to, to, to go to them, you know, and be submissive in, in the sense of being submissive, mutually submissive to one another, mm. you know, that's one of the things. And also just the, the idea, like you said earlier, unity, I'm thinking solidarity. He's trying to make sure there's solidarity, you know, just there's yeah. something about making sure that you know, it's better said than not said moving forward. And that seems important to Paul, doesn't yes. it? Yes, yes. And I think, I think it should be important to all of us in general. You know, I think a lot of times we assume something's okay, but we never really state it. And I think it's, there's something important about making sure that, that we are clear on this. And that's kind of one of the big things that I'm seeing here, the need for clarity. Yeah, you could even say that you no one knew Jesus better than these guys. Yeah. And here's some guy, some hotshot, the former persecutor of a church, who claims to have seen Jesus and heard from him. Yeah. And I think it would do well for him to relate that to them. Yeah. And to just to go back and say, all right, here's this again. Here's what I'm doing out in the mission field. Mm-hmm. I just want I just want to be on the same page with you. Yeah. Let's get our ducks in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I, the unity is a great thing. And, and, and he's prioritizing that, as you put, solidarity. That's great. Let's look at three to five. And that's great that Paul does that. Yeah. And, and that's it's a good example for us as well. And his humility here is is noteworthy. All right, so verses 3 to 5. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Wow. So what does this verse, especially verse 3, what does that teach us about Titus? Well, again, Titus knew what the gospel was. He had, he, had, he had gotten the message, and he knew that it was by grace through faith. You know, obviously Paul's going to develop it in those words later in Ephesians, but, here, but, but they already knew it is by believing in Jesus. It is by putting our trust in Jesus that we are saved. And that was it. To, to be circumcised was, was to add on to it. And he knew that couldn't be right, because then that would mean we would have something to do with our own salvation. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if we have anything to do with it, then God is a little bit less God and I'm a little bit yeah. more. Yeah. So what was his deal with these false brothers and enslavement? What in the world was their problem? Uh, you know, the problem is that there were some people who um, basically they were resistant to the gospel. They were, um, they, they just wanted to, they, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a, of a good way of putting it. You know, the problem is that misery loves company sometimes. And these guys were miserable, and they wanted other people to be miserable with them. They figured, if we had to go through this, and which was kind of uh, very selfish on their part, because they had it done when they were infants, and they couldn't remember it. Mm. And also, it was a lot less painful when the meat is that much more tender down there. You know, to have it done when you're an older person, it was just excruciatingly painful. And I, could, I mean, it's painful nowadays. I would imagine back then it was even worse. You know, it's like it's, yeah. it, it really is adding on an unnecessary burden. I like his use of enslavement there because mm-hmm. when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he didn't say, oh, no, by the way, take these four or five other things, too. Yeah. He, he's, he's like, my burden is easy. It's like Jesus says, take my yoke. Yeah. And this is my burden now. So yeah. this is take that upon you, not take Moses or take anyone else. Yeah. And so this is. And seeing as it's an enslavement, adding on to the gospel here, it's really, I mean, the gospel loses influence if Tim, if Titus has to change. Yeah. If it's not enough that he's come to Jesus in faith. Yeah. If there has to be something external, then all of a sudden the gospel has lost some of its value. Right. Like God's really not that powerful. Now I have to do my part now. 
Yeah. And so God can do his part. And that's just, that's not biblical theology no, at that it, point. It, it isn't. And, oh yeah, this is, this all kind of hinges on Titus. I, I, they had no issue with Barnabas being a Jew, of course. He yeah. just was, oh yeah, of course you're, a, of course you're a Christian now. But Titus now, and this is what's at stake with all of this. So Titus was like a walking illustration yeah. of what's really going on. Right, here. and the big point with salvation is whether you're a Jew or you're not a Jew, a Gentile, um, the idea is that God is saving us from our sins. He's not saving us from who we are culturally or ethnically or any of that stuff, mm. but he is saving us from our sins. I love that. And with that comes, as Paul, has he put it here? Sorry, I turned my page a couple more times. But... To spy out our, in verse 4, they wanted, they slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. So that word freedom there, what really gives us the freedom? Is it God's grace or evidently, or faithfulness to some outside standard? I mean, what really gives us the freedom? Well, yeah, God's salvation, God's grace gives us freedom because I think our lives, if we don't have the good news, we're burdened on how do we gain God's favor? Mm. How do we gain God's favor? And, 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 and trying to find an appeasement of that. I mean, I remember when I was younger and I didn't quite know the gospel um, pre, pre my conversion, that one of my things was, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Right. That, that affected the way I, I felt and thought and, and, and did things. You know, am I good enough? Th- that, is, that is a slavery of, of, of living and thinking. Mm. Yeah, what was the stake here, Mick? I mean, what is at stake here is is the integrity of the gospel itself. Mm. I like how he puts it in the end of verse 5. He's, speaking, he's now speaking to the church of Galatia now. He's speaking mm-hmm. to his Galatian readers. So that the gospel might be preserved for you. So we learned that, that Titus, that he was not only on Paul's side, but mm-hmm. Paul was on his side. And Paul went to bat for him and yeah. said, no, 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 we're not going to do any snipping here today. Yeah. Because if we did that, we would lose this gospel presentation here because yeah. the gospel needs to be preserved for them they the, are my galatian it, gentiles need to know this it would bring a doubt whether faith alone great grace and faith alone will save us exactly or or i must now do something else yeah and the, i'm always going to be looking over my shoulder have i done enough is mm-hmm. there something more i have to do to yeah. add to this do i need to you know do i need to keep her you know keep upgrading my app on my phone. Yeah, exactly, know, right. Yeah. I mean, is there something else here? I, so I like this, so that the gospel might be preserved for you. Yeah. And so the, so they, his Galatian readers needed Paul to stand up for Titus. Yeah. Because otherwise, he cannot stand up for the Galatians with these Judaizers who are coming in. Because it sounds like the same people that were coming in, as I read in Acts 15, the same brand of people are coming in here, mm-hmm. as he's talking about, and so these are the same people that are coming after the Galatian church. Yeah. And, and they're causing confusion because mm. you look at, um, in Acts chapter 15, verse 5, it says, and some believers that, that came from the Pharisees. So there were, there, there's Christians that because of their past, mm. they struggled with these things. So it's calling them believers. So that tells us that they're, they're, they're Christians. But they were struggling because they were so used to doing something. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, and mind you, that, that's in Acts 15. Here's a, here's a different problem. Here's a, they're afraid that, do we need to become like them? Right. You know, and and it's this this whole thing about something that adds on and something that changes, and that can't be the gospel. I like what you said there. You you you've mentioned it gets rid of confusion. I think that's a real a real good blessing of unity. Yeah. It it takes away confusion. Yeah. Because when you're unified, everything is just is you're marching to one note. Yeah. And everyone is saying the same thing, yeah. and, and so that's that this the confusion. The last thing these Gentile Christians need is any other voice speaking to them. Right. They don't need their Roman neighbors going, what are you doing with these Christians? They don't need the, their Jewish neighbors going, yeah, you're not really with God because if you were with God, you'd be doing this. Right. They don't need those, they don't need those other voices in their life. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard enough for them in the Roman world to have taken that step of faith and, and to, to tr- actually trust Jesus for salvation and not to have everyone else second-guessing them. Yeah. And, yeah, that's we need unity here. That's a lot at stake. Uh, well, let's look at uh, 6 to 10 here. We're moving right along. We kind of have a slower start, but we, we're cooking here. <laughs> and from those who seem to be influential, though what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. He puts that in parentheses. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary... 
when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Mm -hmm. Wow. How big is it that God doesn't show partiality like we are tempted to? If God showed uh, partiality, that would mean that somehow we could leverage something over him. Mm. You know, and it, it would mean that, that he has a reason for, for this or that, and that somehow the Almighty can be indebted to, to mere mortals. And, and that's a big no-no. Or if not indebted, maybe manipulated. Right, yeah. It's like, well, I know why God, God chose me because, you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm a good-looking guy or, you know. I, or God chose me, Paul, because I'm a guy who, who already had this built-in knowledge, so he doesn't right. have to, to classically and formally train. You know, mm. you know, or whatever, or, or we 12 because we actually walked with Jesus on the earth. So Paul's speaking of these, uh, these guys he's talking to, the influential ones, or the, the, those who were considered influential. And so he kind of names them as Peter and James and, and John, and, and who said they seem to be pillars. But then he said, even though they were influential, they added nothing to me. Yeah. How big was it? That they added nothing to Paul. Well, it just goes to show you that, that the gospel is not born out of human compromise. Mm. It, it, is, it, it, is from, it is a gift from God. So it has nothing to do about what you and I agree on. It has everything to do with what is God's message to us. Period. And they can trust Paul that mm -hmm. the gospel he's preaching yeah. is the gospel. Yes. Because they didn't say, you know, yeah, you, you got it right, but you're missing one key thing. And here it is. And so they added nothing to Paul. Right. And so he's, so they can trust, they're receiving this letter from Paul, the Galatian yeah. church, they can trust that it's the real deal. Yeah. And that the gospel that is preached is the real gospel. And I think something that, that, that is always good to remember is that with all these people being mentioned, and, and when these letters were written, there were, there were people alive who could have refuted these letters that Paul's writing and say, no, that's not quite how it happened. They don't do that. Mm. And again... I love the fact that much later we talked about this when we did, we did our series on Peter. Peter name drops Paul as a credible source. Mm. So the rest of these verses play out. And, and if, 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 if you believe like I do that this is the Jerusalem Council or you're not so certain as, as with Professor D holds to, no matter what, who these people are, mm -hmm. they see something, they perceive something, and then they do something. Yeah. So in verse 7, what do they see in Paul? In verse seven, on the contrary, so yeah, what 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 did they see? So on the contrary, oh, they, they saw that, that he was a guy that, that could be trusted with the preaching of the gospel, you know, and they, they had no problem with it. The only thing, all they did was kind of the Bible, you know, you focus on the Gentiles. It seems like mm -hmm. God's directing you to the Gentiles, exactly, where he's focusing us uh, on the Jews. And it's kind of funny though, because even in Peter's case, the truth of the matter is, we see a lot of his ministry really is with the Gentiles. Yeah, so so we were a little surprised that Peter's taking this. This tag, but Peter realizes that he, you know, there's someone better for this Gentile yeah. mission. Yeah, and there's some humility. I would say there's humility on Peter's part there yeah. too, which is which is ironic considering it's Peter. Although yeah. he has been humbled by this point, yeah, uh, with this great denial of Jesus and Jesus restoring him. But yeah, so they saw that. So the whether it's the council or if it's just Peter, James, and John by themselves, they saw that that Paul. Yeah, yep, you need to be with these Gentiles. Yeah. You need to minister to them. So that's something they did see. And then what do they recognize? When verse 8, so they saw something in, in, in verse 7. What do they recognize or do they perceive in verse 8? Basically, Paul, you're an apostle too. You are an apostle. That's huge. That's big. That's a mic drop moment. Yeah. Because that takes the. So, so now, now Paul's opponents, mm -hmm. where Paul said in chapter 1, I'm an apostle. They they could have pushed back and said, well, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to believe you with this whole Jesus thing. And like, what would they say about that? I bet Paul, I bet Peter and, and, and James, and I bet they have something to say about this. Well, guess what? They do have something to say about it. Yeah. And they said, you know, yes, he is. We see it. We perceive it. And so now what did they do in verses 9 to 10? They, 
the whole business about extending the right hand of fellowship, yeah. that means that you are it. It's official. Yeah, so not it only is. to Barnabas, but to, but to me. And so Paul writes that. So yeah. there is that we should go to the Gentiles and they're, and they're going to go to the, the fellow Jews. Yeah. And so basically all you Gentile Christians reading this is like, yep, Paul is your pastor, essentially. He's the one who's there. Whoever Paul appoints over your church, mm-hmm. whoever it is, it's like, listen to him. Yeah. Because, you know, you're not only going to go against Jesus in chapter one, but here, though certainly not equal, you'd be going against whom? In yeah. terms of the right hand of fellowship. Yeah. Peter, yeah. James, and John. So you, 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 I know you don't want to go up against Jesus, but those of you, you probably also don't want to go up against them. You trust them, right? So since you trust them, yeah, they're, they're the esteemed. Then you got to trust. Now they, they've now shook Paul's hand. It's done. Yeah. So, yeah. So eleven to fourteen here. My goodness. Unless there's anything you wanted to add further about this opening section. No, I mean it, it's just a great piece of filling in the blanks of things that we didn't quite see fully fleshed out in the Book of Acts. Here we're getting some of those uh, intimate details. So at this point, if 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 I've got it right concerning the Jerusalem Council, at this point, the council would have ended. They've shook his hand, and they're going to send now craft a letter to make it all official. Right. And they're going to send something. And I'll kind of shake my paper here. They're going to send a letter that way, and that will go along to verify all this. Yeah. And to let these Gentile Christians know that, hey, yeah, you you don't need anything else. Right. You're now, good. that's provided that this is the case. Because here the thing with verse 10 is where it says that, you know, they, that we should continue to remember the poor, mm-hmm. the very thing. This has a lot of similarity to Acts 11, 28, if mm-hmm. I'm remembering the verse exactly correctly, where Agabus gives us this prophecy that there's going to be some hard times ahead. Mm-hmm. And, you know... The, this was the kind of thing they needed to do. And so this is one of the reasons why also this seems to coincide more with Acts 11.28. Again. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm, I, mean, I know we're splitting hairs there, but, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that that's very similar to that. Yeah, and, more, and one of the trips Paul's going to take up, he's going to take up a collection with all these Gentile mm-hmm. believers. Yeah. This would have verified that as well. Yeah. Saying, okay, I'm going to go to all, all these Gentile churches to take up a collection for the Jewish mother church, essentially. Right. Because they're, they're struggling, they're poor, yeah. they're, they're going through a famine, or they're going through something. They're hungry, and gives us as Gentiles a chance to care for uh, the, the, the Jews in Jerusalem. Right. And so, remember the poor. Yeah. So, he's very eager to do that. So, now we come to a, a conflict moment here. And so, moving on along in, in I guess, in, in salvation history here, there's... I don't know how many years are between verses 10 and 11 or how how long that goes, but 11 to 14, we've got a moment with Peter here. So he calls him by uh, Cephas. So we had Cephas last week. Yeah. So, but when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul writes, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Mm. Well, my goodness. So, so, Professor D, what seemed to be the issue here with Peter? Where was the hypocrisy? Well, Peter trying to impress these more Jewish. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just kind of gonna use sort of things that are more modern dayish, more the conservative arm of the church. Uh, Peter, in order to kind of fall in well with them, he essentially kind of started rejecting the Gentile Christians because this whole thing about breaking bread with them, that he eats with them, that that is a very big deal, especially in that time. Mm-hmm. And culture when when Jews didn't do that, but Christian Jews did. In other words, Christians were doing this sort of thing. Christians were about creating unity. And now all of a sudden, Peter's kind of going backwards. That's going backwards is never really ever a good thing. And, and Paul had to call him out on it because this is causing chaos. This is causing confusion among. Again, look, it it even swayed Barnabas, Barnabas who knew better. Barnabas, who had been ministering to, to the Gentiles all this time. Mm. And one of the key things to remember, too, is that really the guy that even 
saw the whole inauguration of, of, of the gospel reaching the Gentiles, while Paul may have been the guy that continued it, the baton was passed to him by Peter after the house of Cornelius. Mm. When Peter's the one that actually saw the the uh, the entry of, of Gentiles into salvation history. What's at stake here if Paul doesn't confront Peter, especially regarding his message to the Galatians? Is it kind of back with the gospel again? Where what's it's, it's like? What would be at stake if if Paul doesn't defend Titus and keep him from being circumcised? Is once again there's something different about you Gentiles? You really aren't one of us. Mm-hmm. That even though you're Gentiles, you have come to Jesus. You've had your come to Jesus moment. There's something about you that's not good enough. Yeah, I mean the idea is that. We shouldn't be treating anybody as second-class people. Um, once you're a believer, it doesn't matter what your station in life was, whether you were rich or poor, educated or uneducated, Jew or Gentile. They'll later go on to say whether you were man or woman or whatever. Whatever distinction we can make on this side of eternity. In Jesus, those distinctions are not important, not in the gospel. And, and, and that's, that's what's at stake here, because the gospel is about unifying people. This is the only time there was no other impetus for a, a Roman soldier to, to, to hang out with a Jewish uh, shepherd. Or even the gospel on, is the yeah. big thing that, that, that did that. Even on Jesus' crew, you had a zealot, you had a tax collector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was something, they had a lot that was not in common. Yeah. But they had Jesus who, they had him in common. Right. And that was more important than what they didn't have in common. Yeah. And so here we have, yeah, and so you like how Paul handled his business here? Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he had the right and he went for it. Because the thing is that when it comes to the gospel, you can't compromise the message. Mm. You just can't compromise the message. Look, it's not about, here's the thing. The reason we, we have any worth is because the gospel, the good news, gives it to us. Mm. We are now God's children. So the gospel is important. It, it, the gospel is more important than my feelings. The gospel, it, it, again, this is where my importance comes from. This is where my worth comes from, from the good news of the gospel. So this is much more important than Peter's feelings at this point. I sometimes journey with, with married couples, and, and one spouse has a hard time forgiving the other spouse, but they're both Christians. Mm-hmm. So we start vertically and say, okay, let's look at your relationship with God. Who's been forgiven? Mm-hmm. You. How, why are you forgiven? Because of Jesus' sacrifice, paying your debt. Okay, so you've been reconciled with God. So yeah. now you have that forgiveness. So for you not to now extend forgiveness at some point in this journey to, to be forgiver of your spouse. I realize that you know reconciliation takes place and there's give and there's take. But at some point in your heart to be able to forgive versus holding a grudge or growing bitter, it's like you've been forgiven. So now you can be for a forgiver. Yeah. So if... If, if Peter's going to hold to the gospel, and then he's going to not follow the gospel, yeah. if he's going to show partiality when God shows no partiality, right. then all of a sudden he's doing what that married couple I'm describing is yeah. not. It's like you're, you're being a hypocrite because you're not living what you're proclaiming. Yeah. You're, you're not practicing what you're preaching. Well, I mean, he says right there, you know, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Even Barnabas. Even Barnabas. This is hypocrisy. They saw him and they said, well, if he's going to act this way, maybe that's the right way to act. That's yeah. why leaders, we really have to pay, yeah. pay careful attention. Yeah, this is, this is good. We're, we are so glad as Gentile believers that Paul had this moment here. Yeah. Because if this was allowed to stand, then there would be first-class Christians and second-class yeah. Christians. Because if it worked for Peter, even though he talked about it not being that case, the way he actually did it, yeah. how he broke his bread at the table with people says a lot. Yeah. And... Here it is. I mean, Peter was already a bacon burger subscriber. <laughs> so he was probably eating bacon cheeseburgers at this stage. Could have been, yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and this this just teaches us about the gospel versus a person's rank. I mean, this again, we, we kind of mentioned this. is This is about the message, not about the messenger. Right. This is not about Peter being, you know, Jesus' right-hand guy. Yeah. And, you know, the only other person in history to walk on water. And you know, this is the Peter, you yeah. know. The gospel is not about that. It's not about who's preaching it. It's just about the me- it's about the message, not right. the messenger. And this just illustrates that. that it's good. He confronted Peter, even though he was still Peter. He still needed to be addressed. Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely about the message. It's yeah. about the good news. It's about the gospel. You know, whatever way you want to call it. But it's about what God says. Yeah, so this tense... 
Antioch moment is actually going to illustrate really the main issue going on back home mm-hmm. in Galatia is that there's these Judaizers who are basically saying, yeah, the gospel is the gospel, but you still got to change. There's still kind of two ranks here. And as long as you're not following Moses, you're rank number two. Yeah. You're really not a, a true blue Christian if you haven't been snipped, if you're still following your own dietary practices. If, you, if you're not really a Jew, you really can't be a Christian. That's what they're saying. Yeah. And so this is illustrating, because Peter was living it. So they needed to be confronted, just like the opponents of Paul in Galatia needed to be confronted. So if Paul can't confront Peter, he really has no standing to confront these guys. If he's going to let us stand with with Peter, then he really has to let us stand with these Judaizers, too. So, yeah, it's kind of a a social crisis. The Gentiles are forced to live like Jews to be acceptable to Jews. That's really what it comes down to. that's That's a heresy. Yeah. I mean, that's a heresy. And, and, and that's the problem with, with heresies is that they can be so darn ingrained. And it doesn't matter of, of, of where, whether, whether over there in Israel or here in America, whether in, you know, 1000 B.C. or 2000 A.D., you mm-hmm. know, you have to watch out for any heresies. And, and this is a problem that, that was starting to rise here in Antioch and, and, and now in Galatia. Amen. It says 15 and 16 here. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what do we learn here about justification or being counted righteous? It is by faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. Yeah, it, it, there's nothing you can do. Nothing we can do. It, otherwise, it's, it's you're not saved by grace anymore. Because if no. it, if it, if it's if it's something I can do, it's not grace anymore. I think um, I think you should explain to our listeners what does it mean to be justified. On that's kind of one of those bigger, fancier words in salvation. Yeah, I I would say it, I think it literally it's justification is a legal term, mm-hmm. and so it's just kind of okay. I like to I like to use my fingers and I like to describe them. Adam and Eve in the garden is kind of like my fingers together, and then you can't see this on the podcast, of course. But they sin. All of a sudden, I move my fingers apart. Now they're separated. Yeah. And in order for those fingers to move back together again, in order for there to be reconciliation between God and man, sin has to be paid for. A person can't ever be considered righteous on their own. To stand before God as righteous again, you can't do that. On your own power. So justification is God's legal rendering of, okay, you are now considered righteous. Or or I guess if you want to think about it in a court of law, this would be God's verdict. I'm going to look at you as not guilty now. Yeah. You're not going to bear the penalty. You're, you're not, even though you did sin, you're not going to be considered guilty according to the court. Yeah. And so someone will take your place instead. Right. And so it would be a penal substitution that they're going to bear your penalty. So. Yeah. So that would be it's a it's so this idea of being considered righteous or being a right standing before God yeah. in my own power I will never have that standing, nope. but by God's grace He 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 gives that and He and, proclaims and this is that. This why I mean faith in Jesus means to trust Jesus for this. Amen. And and, and Jesus alone you can't trust in any other person or any other thing. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. Someone else can't do it. Only Jesus. Yeah. And. Yeah, and a person is is justified not by the works of the law, and so, yeah. So I don't know what's worse to 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 be a Jew by birth and think you're justified, or to be one of these quote unquote Gentile sinners but to come freely to Jesus. Yeah. And so there's that tension there he's giving them when he when he brings that up in verse fifteen. Okay, so what do we learn about faith and belief? Where do faith and belief lead to? And so that's the very next, uh, justified by works of the law through faith in Jesus Christ. We believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ. So the faith, so those of you listening, that well, faith, faith always has an object. Mm-hmm. If you're going to say you're going to have faith, and then what is your faith in or who is your faith in? If you're like me, a larger guy, you have faith in the chair is going to hold you as you sit down. Okay, that's an object. And so... Faith always has an object. So my faith is in Jesus. So where is that naturally going to lead? If I'm, if that faith, as you defined it, make very well, very admirably, is trust. Mm. If I'm really trusting Him, where's the where's the logical place theologically that's going to go? I'm going to follow Jesus. Yeah, I got to follow Jesus. I got to I got to see where He's leading. He's the only one that can save me. It makes sense to stay close to the one that that can save me. 
Yeah, and, and I, it's not because of my works. If, so if, if I'm going to build up a resume, mm-hmm. I'll hold up that resume before God and say, see, this is what I did. See, look at me. Look at me. And I've done this, and this is now something I can hold, hang my hat on or hold up, hold up high. So now, I mean, that's really the Pharisee and the tax collector in Jesus' mm-hmm. parable. They yeah. show up to the temple to pray, and the first guy essentially is like, I'm me. Yeah. Look at me. I'm not that guy. Yeah. I'm me. And so... I know why you're going to forgive me. Yeah. He could just hold up his resume as a Pharisee. So look at all I've accomplished. Look at all the righteous things I've done. Everyone looks at me as a righteous dude. And this guy over here has nothing to hang his hat on. He's, a, he's just a tax collector. He's a bum by comparison. Yeah. And Jesus said one of those two went home justified that day. There's yeah. that word again. They went home justified. Yeah. Not forgiven, but justified. And so there it is. And so... It's you got one guy who wants to self justify, mm-hmm. and the other guy who has who just says, you know what, have mercy on me. I've got nothing, Lord. Yeah. I just I got to turn to you. That's all I've got, and that's really the tension here. You've got one group saying we have something to hang our hat on, and the other one, and in order for you to come be a part of the right team, you got to do this. And but that point, that's not the gospel anymore. Right. That's now placing your faith in you and your own work, and. Yeah, is there, um, can Jewishness be a determiner for who the people of God are anymore? If, if Christ is now the one, if faith is in Christ, if Christ alone provides justification, do the Judaizers have a point or do they not? I mean, does, does Jewishness now decide who you are, God's people? I mean, if you're going to be part of God's, I mean... Can you be part of the Jewish Messiah? I mean, if, if you are, does Jewishness play a role in that? Or is there something different about the gospel? I think one of the things that we need to understand is that the point of even being a Jew, the point of God even creating the Jewish nation, was to lead the other nations of the world to him, through mm. using them as his, his people. And, and the whole point of being a Jew was that they, is really that they were supposed to be God's people, to inspire other people to become God's people. Mm. That, that was the point of being a Jew. I mean, um, I think about Genesis chapter 12, where it talks about where, where, where God is calling Abraham, and he says that through, you know the nations are going to be blessed through your seed. Mm. I love his idea of sinner here, because we have mm. t- two ideas of sinner. Yeah. Is, are they sinners pre-conversion? Of course, we're all yeah. sinners pre-conversion. I think the Judaizers' argument is, or Paul's opponent's argument is, no, 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 they are sinners after they come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So post-conversion, they're still sinning. Yeah. And what's their sin? That they're not taking on Moses. When I was understanding this, though, I was understanding this more like, right, that they were basically making a distinction between we who have been given the law versus you who have never really had the law. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you, you yeah. guys are sinners just because you guys basically have never been a part of the, the law system. Yeah, I had this happen to me one time with uh, uh, more... I won't. I won't use the denomination, but their argument was: you've been baptized, you have the Holy Spirit. Now you need a second baptism to have more of the Holy Spirit. Don't you want to upgrade? Don't you want this next thing? Don't you want? So I can see them saying here: yeah, yeah, yeah. You're Christians. I get it. But you're really living. You don't have this law. You don't have this thing that we have. Yeah. So there's something different about you. There's something lesser about you. There's something not truly part of Jesus's team. Jesus, you know. The, the Jewish Jesus, you're not mm-hmm. really part of that team. Don't you want that? So there's something lesser. And Paul's like, wait a minute. We we, we can't have that. And no. so, um, yeah. So we, we, we have something that there's something that Paul can agree on. That, yeah, they were sinners before. If you're going to consider them sinners, sure. Before they were converted, yeah, sure. But afterwards? Mm-hmm. Um, no, because justification never comes by my works. I can't ever... Ju- be justified so no matter what i do they can't do it and so are they living in sin because they're not coming to moses after jesus that doesn't make sense now that's no. on them so we got to continue some great great pivotal theology here 17 to 19 but if in our endeavor to be just and th- these are three of the hard, harder chapters of the yeah. uh, verses of the new testament they're not really easy but if in our endeavor to be justified in christ we too were found to be sinners is christ then a servant of sin certainly not For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. So, so Professor D, what is Paul's countercharge? How does he go back at them with these verses? 
Yeah. To his accusers, that is. Yeah. Um, like you said, this is a bit trickier to word, but essentially what he, what he is what he is saying is that since we didn't become saved by the law, and, and he's going to develop this this much better in Romans, I think, but essentially what he's saying is that the law is still a good thing, but it's not an essential thing. We have to remember that. What is the point of the law? The point of the law is to to show us who God is. Mm. It is to get us to see that we are sinners. That's the point of the law. Because yeah. the, the law was never intended for us to, to save ourselves with. And that's one of the things that Jesus argued throughout his earthly ministry. That there, that the law was not... This is why he came to fulfill the law. Mm. Because nobody could obey the law to the T. Only Jesus. And even when he was accused of breaking the Sabbath, he really wasn't breaking the Sabbath. He was just breaking the traditions regarding the Sabbath. So with the ABCs of salvation, all the law does is help you with the A. Yeah. To admit that you're a sinner. Yeah. Because the law just says, you know what? You've broken me. Yeah. That's about it. That's it. That's all I can do, Pat. The, 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 uh, yeah. They were always only saved by trusting God. That's all they had. That's all they had. To trust God. There was no way. I mean, and even with the sacrifice system, their faith in that was how God saved them. It wasn't anything they did because they couldn't keep the law. That's why they needed the sacrifice right. system. Right. Think about it. Why was it built into the law? Right. If it was about obeying the law, there would be no need for the sacrifice system. The fact that the sacrifice system was in there is because they, he knew that they couldn't do it. The best that the, the, the law serves is as a mirror and, and as a portrait of God. Beyond that, it could never do much more than that. So to try to obey it when you already know you can't obey it to the fullest and, and rely on it for salvation, he's basically saying makes no sense. So if, you're, if, if I'm arguing, as Paul, Paul might say, if I'm arguing that all you need is Jesus not the law. And now you say, no, 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 you still need the law. So what does that make Jesus? Makes is, he Jesus not, is he wrong? Is he... It makes Jesus incomplete. It makes him a liar. And leading you into sin, evidently. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's a great seductress. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it makes Jesus into all those things. And so Paul tore down the law as being essential and necessary for mm -hmm. salvation. Right. Or justification, rather. Mm -hmm. And so... Paul can't rebuild what he tore down. He just got no. done tearing it down. Yeah. He's like, you can't be saved by works. Nope. So why would I now bring in works and agree with you? I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And so to do that would make Jesus a liar and would make me a liar. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And so through the law, I died to the law. So the law reminded me that I can't. Yeah. So now I'm dying to that. I can't. I cannot live to for that anymore. I'm dang me dead to it. Right. Because I can't. Because in order to live to God, I've got to die to my own self-work. I can't do that anymore. And so, yeah, so the spirit of the laws is transcending the letter here. Um, yeah, so if the, if, if the spirit of the law really is I'm not good enough, or rather the law is not good enough, or the law demands that, because like you said, to take the letter of the law, that would be obeying God, but you realize you can't obey God. So it's the great um, oxymoron, right? We'll, we'll put it simple. We'll, we'll pick on the, the one commandment that lends itself to it. How can you not covet? Right. <laughs> There's just no way I can't covet. But you can't prove it. Yeah. It may, maybe not uh, enforceable law. by law, right. by, by man, but before God it's enforceable. Exactly. So we come to the great, maybe one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. Yeah. This is, we're coming to verses, verse 20, and, and we'll end with verse 21 here. I have been crucified with Christ, it, and it is no longer I who live. I, I, I memorized this in a different translation, yeah. <laughs> so I use the ESV today. Um, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Mm. So what does the amazing verse 20 teach us, Mick? Um, this is where we use one of these other big words. We are vicariously joined with Jesus. What does that mean? That means that we have been unified with him. In other words, um, we are, Jesus is doing this, and we are spiritually there with him mm. as he does this. Um, there's a lot of, that's going on here because Jesus becomes our substitution. We, we mm -hmm. talked about that last week. He took our, our, our punishment. We talked about penal atonement. And mm -hmm. vicariously means that we are somehow participating mm -hmm. in his death and in his resurrection. 
in all of this. And, it, and it's really a beautiful picture that just as Jesus died, and more importantly, he resurrected, that we also get to basically die with Jesus. And we do this every time we... We we do we we have this representation every time we go into the baptismal waters mm. that we have died to our sins and have been risen with Jesus, mm. and it's a real beautiful picture. It's a picture of hope that we all need. Yeah, it, when I journey with people who are struggling with their the old self and refusing to put off the old self and refusing to put on the new self in Christ, that old that old you creeps up and that's. It, no, no, no. That's been crucified. Yeah. That's on the cross. Yeah. And this, by the way, if if any of you are, you know, sweet old ladies listening to this podcast, God bless you. We love you. But I, I don't mean to, uh, to to keep you up tonight with this with this line. But uh, verse 20 is a rated R verse. Verse 20 is a bloody verse. Mm-hmm. Crucifixion was a nasty, terrible, bloody, torturous death. And I have been crucified with Christ. Um it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Uh, that is groundbreaking. Is, is any of you listening to this saying to yourself, well, I just have to go, my life exists so I can go find myself. My life exists so I can love myself or just seek after my, what I, you know, someone says, well, you do you, you do you. That's right. I got to do me. I got to figure my life out. I got to just march forward and do, and no, 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 heck no, heck no, heck no. This is what it's about. That me that used to search for me, that's on the Christ for Christ. Mm-hmm. And if Jesus is going to die for my sins, if he, if I'm going to trust in that death, then that old me has got to die too. As long as that old me is there, nothing's ever going to change. And I'm never truly going to repent of my evil. I'm never going to move forward. So that has to, that old me has to die as well. Right. And it's no longer I'm living. And so this life isn't about me anymore. Yeah. I'm not the great sheriff marching in a tent. No, it's not me anymore. Yeah. And I, I can't live that way. And, and the other thing too is this union... Mm. with the crucified Christ yeah. is only done by faith. In other words, by trusting him. Right. It's the only way we are actually joined. I mean, obviously, we're not joined with him literally or physically. It, it is only by faith. In other words, because we trust that this is what's happening. Yeah, we we don't physically die yeah. for our sins, but we, we spiritually die. Right. It's like we're, we're giving... We're, we're giving all those former you that for that me is dead. It has yeah. to be dead. And when it's not dead, I got to repent. Right. It's like, I've got to repent of that and confess those sins to people. It's like, yeah. So I don't, because of the the blessing of the gospel is I don't have to die. The wages of sin is death, but I don't have to die that death. Yeah. Christ died that death physically, but I can be a living sacrifice. As Paul would say mm-hmm. in Romans yeah. 12, I can sacrifice. I can put on the altar. Now that old me. Yeah. So that I can now be crucified with Christ. Not literally, as you said, as I'm not hanging on a cross, bleeding out, or suffocating to death while the wild birds attack. But no, that part of me is crucified. That yes. part of that old me, and I no longer live. That old me no longer lives. It can't right. live anymore. And so, yeah, that, that the mysterious union with Jesus here, this is this is pivotal stuff. So if if the law was the most important thing, then the gospel is now a second-rate gospel. Well, it's not a gospel. Like you said in chapter 1, yeah. it stops being good news. It, it can only be good news if he's taking complete care of it. If you leave anything up to us, forget about it. I sin every day. Mm. I mess up every day. I, no, I can't trust this on me. I can't just trust this on anyone. I, I, only on Jesus. What do we think about verse 21 here? I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So let's just kind of talk this out here. I don't nullify the grace. So the, the grace of God is the only way righteousness is going to, righteousness is going to happen. You're mm-hmm. only going to be reconciled to God by God's grace. Yeah. You will only be considered justified by God's grace, by God's gift, not by your works. Yeah. So your resume accomplishes nothing according right. to this, but only God's grace does. So it's... He's not going to play that game. He's right. not. He's not going to say. He's not going to go back on that and say, "Yeah, I've been saying God's grace is the only thing you need, but now you got to have this." I'm not going to go back on that. Yeah. I'm not going to say, "Okay, you're right. Yeah, you got to have Moses now to add on to your Jesus expansion pack." Yeah. You know, now now you can be a true follower of Jesus because you like Jesus. You once followed yeah. Moses, or something like to that regard, whatever they would say. And so you got to become. So he's really tearing this down to basically saying. If you're right, opponents of mine, 
then you're forcing me out of nullify grace. Mm-hmm. You're forcing me to say grace isn't enough. Yeah. And I'm not going to do that. I do not nullify the grace of God. So righteousness... I mean, that last statement, Christ died for nothing. Why, why would he need to die? Yeah. Why would, I, why would I be crucified with Christ? Why would there need to be some union between me yeah. and Christ? If, if he died, there was a purpose for that death. Yeah. And if he died because I don't have to die, then okay. So I'm not going to nullify that. Then if I can be good enough to earn God's favor... If I can somehow be faithful enough to be justified before God, then we don't need Jesus dying on a cross. Mm-hmm. That's really what it says. Yeah. So any of you who say you can be good enough, you really can't t- trust Jesus alone because at some point you're also trusting yourself. Yeah, and look, at, we're basically we're making a liar out of Jesus. Mm. We're making a liar out of the gospel. Mm. And I, I, you want to talk about anathema? There you go. This is... This is pivotal pivotal theology here because this really gets at the heart of everything. Are you your answer or is mm-hmm. Jesus the answer? Yeah. Because if you say Jesus, don't live like you're the answer. Yeah. Don't live like your efforts are somehow going to make you right with God or your, your efforts are somehow going to just bring bring you reconciled together again. As if it, it somehow depends on us. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. There's it's, So how do you land the plane here, Mick? What are your closing Look, thoughts here, tonight? Here's some of the, my closing thoughts. You know, I... At core, the birth of, of, of sin, what, what gives rise to pride and, and selfishness comes from, from the absence of, of not having trusted God at mm. his word. Mm. Not trusting God at his word. Not trusting God in his salvation. You know, uh, faith, faith in Jesus is the only thing that can restore that. that if you really get down to it, and I'm going to go take it back to Genesis 3 because I love always going back to Genesis 3. They, what was lost there was faith in God. That's what would happen. The, the disobedience, the eating of the fruit. Did God really say that? Yeah. It's the loss of faith in God. It, yeah. it has always been a question about trusting God at his word. Mm-hmm. So here we are in, in a point in salvation history where we get to trust that Jesus Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Amen. You know? Sin had left a, a crimson stain and he's, he white, washed it white as snow. Mm. You know? That's what it comes down to. Do I trust God? It's always a question of trusting God. Um, we, we, we need to be, and, and, and as far as landing the plan here, is that we need to be clear about the gospel message. Mm. We can't add to it. We cannot take away from it. We, we must guard against any subversion to that message, mm. whether it's adding on to it or, or taking away from it. You know, um, as you mentioned last week, which was one of the problems in the Church of Corinth. You know, so so... It is so easy to trip up. I and mean, we see that even a guy, a staunch believer. So in the beginning of the chapter, it's been 14 years for, 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 for Paul, but it's been that much longer for Peter. Mm. So we have to be very careful that even as, as believers who have been at this for, for a long time, that we never compromise the gospel message. Again, going back to chapter one, even if I changed it, or if an angel changes it, or anybody changes it. No, we got to be clear on what the gospel message is. It is only Jesus. I can only depend on Jesus. Okay, Everything else is proven to be inconsistent. I can only trust Jesus for this. And and, and he really wants to hammer that. There's nothing we can do. Amen. There's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. You know? Yeah, and if if you really believe that then you would take you would understand Galatians 2:20 as mm-hmm. even what I am doing mm-hmm. it's just Christ Jesus living in me yeah so there's really it's not me adding anything anymore right. it's just it, him accomplishing his will in my life not me obeying God so God will like me right. again i mean what we do moving forward is not about and i'm going to put air quotes since you can't really see it <laughs> how to get saved mm-hmm. but it's instead it's the result of being saved Right. That, that's how I move forward. We, we learn to, to live life to trusting Jesus. That, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the Christian life, learning to trust Jesus. And I invite you listening here, if you, you may say, well, I'm not much of a memorizer of Scripture. You can memorize. I know because you, you, you can probably sing song lyrics for all your favorite songs. Um, I invite you to memorize Galatians 2.20. Uh, I invite you to write it out longhand and then um, take away the I and write down your name. It kind of makes, you know, so it would look like, 
Joel has been crucified by Christ. And it is, it is Joel, Joel who no longer lives. lives, but Christ lives in Joel. Joel. The life Joel is... Okay, so I, I, I was challenged to do that in college. Like, that would be a great thing to do. It's, it makes horrible English. But, uh, but yeah, the idea that just to drive it home, that old you can no longer be the current you. It has been crucified with Christ. So when the old you comes back and rears its ugly head, repent. This is your chance to turn to God and say, God, forgive me. And the ones I've hurt, forgive me. And please forgive me. It's like to, to confess your sin, to own up to it, and to submit to God, and to repent. And it's just when that old you comes back, there it is. So that has been crucified by Christ. It's one of those foundational verses for every Christian that to hold on to. So a lot to go through tonight, Mick. My goodness. I, I think to have this around an hour, I think we did a good job with it. Uh, this has been a wonderful, a, tur- a tour de force, as you like to say, of oh, theology. Yeah. And it only gets better from here. So, But, but Galatians 2.20 is a pivotal verse. Thanks for joining us tonight in Galatians 2. This has been Masterclass Theology. And uh, this has been Big Rev. And Professor D. God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.